Hello, and welcome back to the Sound Up Seattle podcast, led always by your host, John Kerry, and his friendly co-host, Tyler Cartwright. Today, we have a packed podcast for you. We we were talking, we didn't think we'd have much to talk about, and now I, I'm worried we have too much. We're going to touch on the Seattle Seahawks, their preseason, and a little bit of looking forward. We're going to spend way too much time talking about the Mariners and their frustratingly wonderful last couple of months. As always. And we're going to finish up with some college talk. We're going to see if Tyler can pull me away from the mic to get me to stop talking about Gonzaga basketball. And then we're going to talk a little bit about UW football and their pretty dang good recruiting class. So a little look ahead for what's coming up. But before we get started, as always, Gaudi Picnic. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? We've got a lot to discuss, obviously, as you stated. Um, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm just going to immediately stop you right there. The Mariners just gave up a grand slam. Uh, it is now 7-5 to five in uh, the Royals game. They were up 7-0, correct? Yeah. Mm. To Bobby Wood Jr., who we talked about trading for earlier in the oh, like oh, Bobby or, earlier in the month. Um, let's save that. Let's save that. We'll save that for Mariners talk. Let's yep. start with the Seahawks. A dominant show, undefeated so far in the preseason with a undefeated, 1-0 start. never lost. Never lost. Um, and the question is, how much is there to be garnered from this preseason win? Gino did not play a single down. Neither did either of our best two receivers. Um, we did get a look at some of our rookies, um, particularly on the wide receiver and defensive side of the football. Um what were your takeaways? What are your thoughts? My immediate thought was, and granted, I'm going to be up front, I only watched the first quarter and a half or so uh, because it's preseason football and it's not as important as regular season football. Really, the first quarter is the only quarter that matters in preseason football. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was watching that, and it felt like they were letting uh, Drew Locke just try to find uh, Smith and Jigba. Um, also, I really need to figure out if that's the right way to pronounce his name. I no, just yeah, kinda... Smith and Jigba. That's okay. what I've heard. All right. If it's wrong, everyone's messing it up together. <laughs> um, yeah, felt like they were targeting him a bunch, trying to let him run his routes, get used to the speed. Um, it felt like early, especially that like first 10 minutes of the first quarter, just like letting him run routes, get some, get hit a couple times, just let him feel that real NFL-type pressure. Yeah, and, you know, he's a body. Like, he'll... he'll especially as he puts on some weight, he'll be fine for the NFL game. He's certainly, you know, one of the advantages of getting a guy his size. But, uh, yeah, always good for the young guys. You know, it's a different speed is what you always hear. That was my experience when I went from college to the NFL. Yeah, Um, I bet. (laughs) uh, But he was not necessarily the big story. Everybody wants to talk about our boy, Jake Bobo, the other rookie wide receiver out of UCLA. Um I guess, do you have anything positive to say about him before I get I get very cruel? Um, I think we both have not, like, the best outlook on this, Just and we'll talk about that when you want to talk. But in terms of what, how, how he did well, he had three targets, three receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown. One of those receptions went for 29 yards. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, a really solid game by a rookie wide receiver who, you know, we don't really expect to see much playing time in this in the regular season because we have those three main targets. To be fair to him, going three for three when Drew Locke is throwing you the football That's is like true. damn near impossible. <laughs> I hope he went to a casino after that because who'd have thunk three in a row. But uh, I just, you know, people want to talk about – it's always fun to get excited about preseason guys. But this is – this is a great example of like you guys just aren't paying attention and it doesn't even matter if he's actually good so the thing is okay jake bobo out of ucla first red flag spent three years at duke i do not want a duke wide receiver that's just i know it's it's uh xenophobic against duke people but uh i don't want it i I have no interest um he's 25 years old he is an old rookie yeah he is an old rookie um always helps that transition it's also preseason how much does that really matter you know and then the biggest factor and that's you know those are the flags against Bobo he had a great game I'm not I'm not trying to dig on him he's a young guy trying to make his dream I like Jake Bobo the problem is we've got an awesome receiver group that's the real problem it's like does Jake Bobo really have a chance on this team we have I think unarguably the best like three man wide receiver group in uh Football And it would be one thing if he was like a really big guy that we could slot in a tight end. But uh, I just don't think he's big enough. Um, so, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to get a target a game, two targets a game, wait for an injury? People, don't focus on Jake Bobo. Yeah, I see him in kind of the, I don't know, the last couple of seasons we've had Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf kind of holding down those primary two receiver spots. Correct. And they're and taking been, volume, those two. Yeah. Well, and we've been kind of stringing together that third wide receiver spot, the, the slot receiver, um, I believe is what it is. Uh, and now we've got that third receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And so we don't really have anywhere that we're trying to like throw together a position in terms of receiving. Mm-hmm. And so Bobo's just going to struggle to find playing time. Yeah, that's a good point, too. It'd be one thing if, like, all our guys were outside receivers or something, and, you know, you'll, you'll still have guys filling the slot. Obviously, since Dougie B left, we haven't had a, a super dynamic slot receiver. I always thought Lockett could work in the slot, but um, he's still got enough wheels. that he's, he, Yeah, he's more of a deep route runner. and just Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, lateral quickness was never what you'd think it'd be from a guy with his speed. But, yeah, and Jigba just fits that perfectly. I believe he played the slot his whole year, this whole last year for Ohio State. And even if not... He's just got good size and really good lateral quickness. He's not so small that you're going to worry about him getting killed like a Wes Welker type. He just he fits the slot really well, and he fits those other two receivers really well. So, yeah, uh, Bobo might be, you know, uh, yeah, you know, why am I being so negative? Maybe he'll be great. Maybe he'll find playing time. But uh, I would be surprised, and he hasn't been getting a lot of the focus. So. Don't take him in your third round of your fantasy league. If Jake Bobo was a Colt, I'd be losing my mind. I'd be like, <laughs> heck yeah, <laughs> sign him to five years. A guy that can catch footballs? It's its more of a problem of the team that he's on, not the way that he certainly played, which was very well in that first game. Granted, granted, he could put himself into a, into this kind of role where he's our fourth receiver, and if we if a guy needs a rest, he can get those get that playing time. Um, I think it's, is it Richardson who has kind of had that role for the Seahawks the last couple of years where he kind of comes on and catches a ball every now and then and just kind of holds down that fourth receiver spot? He might work with that because it seems like he has the body to play in the slot or on the outside, kind of doing whatever, sure. whatever role is needed. Sure. Yeah, he's six four two. Might be a good special teams guy. Um, that's actually a good, a good, a good point to transition talking about fourth receiver. But before that, any other, you know, we're talking about preseason football. It was nice to see the young rookie receivers show up. 
Drew Locke, always nice to have a good backup QB. And I, you know, I think Drew Locke's good in that role. You just don't start him, hopefully. Um, and the defense looked sharp. You know? I'm just, I've just got a question for you, John. Yeah. Uh, would you take Gardner Minshew over Drew Locke? Absolutely. You think so? Oh my goodness, that's like that's a that's a silly question. Gardner Minshew's like good. Gardner Minshew's really good. I think he was, he's the well. Cause is he playing for the Colts right now? Correct. Ah, uh, okay. Correct. That's why you would take him. No, dude, he was <laughs> he was good on Jacksonville. Yeah, he, he was good. Yeah, he was good on. He lost that job because they drafted Lawrence. It's just like, sorry, man, this is like a. He's just like the ultimate prospect. backup QB. But, okay, but then he went to Philly and won like three starts there, and they benched him because they had Hurts, who's another awesome guy. He, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's not like the the starter that you want. Like, would you take him over Geno? Uh, I would not because of Geno's size and speed. But I do think there's a conversation. If he was on this team and Geno was really struggling, I am a guy that believes in Gardner Minshew. He's smart. He's got a solid arm. He makes good decisions. He's not. He's not. He's like the anti Baker Mayfield. He is Baker Mayfield if Baker Mayfield had, like, cognitive processing. Um, that's a hot thing. I've, I've always liked Gardner. No, I was just asking that question just to kind of compare, like, how yeah. Drew Locke was. Talk about Washington sports, a yeah. WSU guy. I really, really like Gardner Minshew. And I, honestly, he should be starting for the Colts. He's a better quarterback right now than Richardson. He just Richardson just needs that development time. Correct. The Colts are going to be hot trash. There's no reason for them to have a, you know, good quarterback or a solid quarterback. Um, it makes more sense for them to develop. But he's good, and he could start for a couple teams. He would be the best quarterback in Carolina right now. He might be somebody to, like, trade trade for if somebody loses a quarterback. And Abs- a, yeah. Absolutely. The Colts could get a lot for him. Like a, a mid-season – probably not a ton. But not yeah, a ton, but – A mid-season acquisition. He could be he could be a Geno Smith type. Dude, all, all Gardner Minshew has ever done as a starting quarterback is win. That's all he's ever done. Look at his record as a starting quarterback. It's super solid. So – yeah, I would way rather have Gardner. It'd be tough to see him in like a Niners uniform. I feel like he could play oh, for the Niners this upcoming season. He would be so good for the Niners. I know. <laughs> Brock Purdy's over there throwing dimes. Imagine what our boy Gardner could do. Anyways, um, let's. Sorry, we got off track. I just wanted to ask that was a nice. question. Hey, yeah, hey. about Wazoo guy. We're keeping it local. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk a little broader on the Seahawks. Um, and this is going to be a little more conceptual. People are talking a lot about this Seahawks offense. Well-deserved. Kenneth Walker, stud. You got three stud receivers with Metcalf, Lockett, and Njigba. Um, and Gino is coming off the best year of his career. Good vibes all around. Do you know who will start a tight end for them? I don't. That's a good question. Um, let they, me look it up. You keep talking, I'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. They always have a couple utility guys. But So my question is, do we think that Geno Smith is capable of running this offense in the way that it's built to be run. Because, okay, so here's my hot take. I'm going to lead with this. I think this is the most talented receiving core a team has put together since uh, the, like, 2015 Broncos. That team that was just just loaded at receiver, where they had Julius Thomas, a tight end, Demarius Thomas, a wide receiver, Wes Welker, Emmanuel Sanders... Um, I think those were the the main guys that year, but just monstrous. C.J. Anderson catching you know little little out routes, um, and obviously that was Peyton's last great year. That was his MVP year. The year they lost to the Seahawks, keeping it local. Um, but it was this mass talent on offense. But the thing is, 
they had two things that I'm not sure the Seahawks team has. One, they had Peyton Manning, who is the ultimate processor, the ultimate reads guy. You know, guy will go all the way through rotation and all the way back through until he finds a guy that's open. That's, you know, you don't really need three receivers if you're a two-read guy. Then the third guy is just being wasted. You need to be a guy that's going to work through your entire read progression and back to really, really utilize three talented receivers. Um, and then this, and you know, that may be Geno. Geno was good at that last year, but we saw the volume that he targeted to DK and Lockett. And is that because those are the two best guys to throw to, or is that because he's just more comfortable working through one or two reads? You know. So I'm just I'm curious how that's going to work. And then the other thing I'm concerned about is the offensive line. That Broncos team had a really solid offensive line until the Super Bowl. Um, And they were able to protect him to give him time to work through those reads. Another thing, you know, if you're going to have two seconds to throw, you might as well just be throwing at two guys anyway, you know? So that was a rant. Yeah, no, I think it's a a good question, good question to pose. I think what it is, and it might be something that we we aren't sure of yet, we don't know if Gino can do, but... The fact of the matter is it feels like older QBs who have been in the league longer have gotten better at going through their reads and their progressions. Typically, yeah. And Gino's been around for a while. He's old. Not really old, but he's 32, 33 years, I think. Yeah, well, yeah um, and he came in young. He's been in the league something like a decade. Yeah, I think he's got that skill. It's not you know, it's not going to be Peyton Manning, but I think he's got that skill to go through his reads. And I think what, what we'll realize is that I don't think that this is like the best receiving trio in the last 10 years. Um, like you're saying, who do you think? Does anybody come to come to mind? It's tough to say. I mean, I would have to run through every every single trio. I mean, in my mind right now, I think of like the 49ers the last couple of years, or not the last couple of years, yeah. not, and that's not even receiving trio, but like yeah. a trio of of reads that you're making, of like George Kittle, Debo Samuel, I guess Christian McCaffrey's like part all, of that. All but. all three of those guys are awesome. Every one of those guys is a worse receiver than any one of the three guys on Seattle. Yeah, but it's not like... Well, I'm talking about receiving talent. I know. And I'm just saying, like, the the quarterback is the one making the decisions, but the players have to make the plays. And if the quarterback is just letting the players work, mm-hmm. then sometimes that's easy. We saw that with Justin Fields this last week where he threw, what was it, two touchdowns on three three throws? Yeah, he threw... They were all negative yardage. Yeah, he, he had 130 <laughs> yards passing on three three throws, and all three balls traveled like a combined, like, 16 yards. <laughs> the guys were just taking it, on, taking it on screens and taking it to the house. You're right, that does make it easier. So um, I, I think it's really tough to evaluate that difficulty, when, or the, the talent of the receiving core, especially when JSN doesn't really have uh, any sort of track record that we can base it off of. I think DK is going to be amazing this year. I think Tyler Lockett's going to be amazing. It's going to be how Gino takes that third read with JSN or whatever he ends up doing. Maybe it's going to distract. I like that a lot. JSN. Yeah, I, I thought of like, what are people doing to make this easy? Have to say? you coined that? Did you just coin that? No, but I've I've heard it a couple times, and I was like, man, I'm just going to rock. Yeah, with absolutely, this. that's all I'm saying. Now. Yeah, I never have to butcher it in jig, but <laughs> JSN. Um, I you know I think you're right. I do think you're right. I do think that this situation is a little more unique than people think. Because people think about exactly what you're saying. It's like, oh, what about that Niners group? There are other groups with a really good tight end where you're like, oh, what about those two receivers in that tight end? When you have like three, because even people could even be like, okay, what about the Bengals this year, you know, with Boyd as their number three guy? It's like, Boyd's a pretty classic number three receiver, you know, he's not the same level of talent. When, when you have, like, three high-level guys, you kind of have to get them involved. 
and they, when you have three high-level receivers, you can't run like a 49, 49er-style offense where everyone's just around the line of scrimmage, you know? You have to work the deep field, the intermediate field, the close field. You got to, you know, be prepared for different things to happen. It's just, I think it's rarer than people think for there to be three really talented receivers on the field at the same time. And obviously, that can be a huge luxury. You know, that can be really, really good if you know how to use it. Also think it, you know, it does provide some challenges to the quarterback. It does make things a little more complicated. You are right. He's had tons of time to study, Gino. He's been sitting on the sidelines for a couple of years. He's got nothing but time to study. But the downside of that's being, you know, he hasn't been taking live reps on the field as much as much as some of these guys, you know. Even if he understands conceptually what he needs to do, he hasn't, you know, necessarily had the same amount of practice, you know, staring down a D end and getting to that third read. Um but it's just a question. I love Gino, and I do think he's really sharp and a good processor, but I, I really think this situation is more unique than people are kind of thinking at the surface level, which is also why it's so long Bobo, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. I think the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, man, I can't think of like a great three-receiver core. Yeah. Um, what I'm thinking of right now is that Rams team that won the Super Bowl. Not their three-receiver core, but they had an Odell Beckham Jr., and Cooper, Cooper Cup, who are both monsters. who are both great, but Matthew Stafford didn't really utilize Odell Beckham Jr. the way that he was planned to. Like he's a deep ball catcher, and Matthew Stafford just like doesn't do that kind of thing. And I know Gino is good at throwing a deep ball, and so with that being said, he's going to look at Tyler Lockett and DK more frequently. And I think it might lead to JSN getting a little bit a little bit fewer reps than we would think, especially to start the season. Of course, and, and things are going to grow and change. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of a natural progression. I think you're right for a couple of reasons there. Um, and it also helps that you're right, he has the deep ball, so he's already comfortable with the deep end of the field, so he just has to work his way in. But I, the Rams isn't even bad, because Tyler Higby, their tight end that year, you know, he could he was a, one of the more talented receiving tight ends in football. So anyway, it'll be interesting. I, you know, I'm just, I'm curious. You were kind of, we were talking before we got on about the fantasy outlook for Njigba. I, I am, I am hyped for Njigba as a, or JSN, as we're calling him, as a talent, as a prospect, and as a player that'll help the Hawks win. I am ice cold on his fantasy outlook this year. Ice cold. Yeah, no, I, I agree. If you're thinking about taking JSN anywhere in the top 10 rounds, don't. Um, yeah, I see him like three receptions for like 46 yards a game yeah. and a touchdown every like fourth game. Yeah, he's not a touchdown threat as a slot receiver. You're working short yardage, trying to get those first downs. You have DK and Tyler Lockett running those deep routes and hoping to get touchdowns on long plays. And yeah, and um, eventually, you know, he could be like, you know, Cooper Cup works primarily in the slot. You know, you can be the best receiver in football. A lot of the best receivers recently, fantasy-wise, have been slot guys. AB worked a lot in the slot, but um, Antonio Brown for my non-colloquial friends. But uh, but you have to really know the offense inside and out, and uh, quarterback, you have to have built that trust. So you're right, I... I just don't think it'll be there right out of the gates and probably not a lot this season. Yeah, I think that's all on the Seahawks that we got for right now. Um, really fun first preseason game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we will get back to you shortly. We're back. John, let's talk about what was kind of kind of a disappointing Felix weekend for the Mariners um, in the sense that they lost a couple. they lost two really close games. Uh, one complete gem by George Kirby who threw a nine-inning shutout, uh, and the other was an upsetting 10th-inning loss as well. Uh, or no, ninth inning loss, but a tough, tough 
come back after we had already tied the game. Um, yeah, won eight straight games and are currently on a three-game losing streak and currently playing the Royals um, in the top of the seventh, up seven to five, and just trying to retake that seven-run lead that we talked about earlier in the pod. Mm. Um, See, how do we feel about that three-game losing streak after after the eight-game winning streak? Yeah, so the Orioles, or sorry, the Royals game yesterday, I'm not going to freak out too much about. We were down big early. You know, coming off a really tough series against the Orioles, I think they just the energy was low, a little emotional letdown, and then they actually had a really nice comeback. They were down. They were down four zero. Four zero, and then came back to go up six five. No, yeah, it was it was five zero. Came back to, to go up six five, and then gave up a, a two run homer at the end to lose. So you know, just a back and forth game, another back and forth game at the very end of the game. Orioles series disappointing in that we did not win more of them. Really, really encouraging in terms of the type of baseball being played. Um, first game on the 11th, we won 9-2. to two, Just smacked the hell out of them. Smacked them. Smacked them. Um, and that was a Bryce Miller start, right? Yes. Um, and then... No. That was Luis Castillo. Oh, it was Miller yesterday? Miller was... Uh, Gilbert was yesterday. Miller was the third game of the series. I see, I see, I see. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, gave up the 0-1 loss, the gem by... Uh, I was at that game. It was so tough. <sighs> so tough, man. He was awesome. And lost in extras in 10. And then lost again in extras in 10 to the Orioles, 3-5. So, so we're playing tight. And the Orioles are, you know, still, if not the best, then the second best team in baseball. So. They're the best team in the American League by far. Yes. So the fact that, you know... We we won a nine to two and then tied in two games and went to extras and lost uh, is pretty encouraging. Like you said, eight game win streak was awesome. We swept the Padres. I was hoping to just get one. Um, so to say that we went three and two against the Orioles and Padres suddenly sounds a lot better. Yeah, we lost a tight one to the Royals. As long as we clean up business today, we'll be right back on track to start cleaning up against some of these bad teams like we've talked about before. Um, so yeah, it is it is discouraging. We were half a game back of the Blue Jays for a second, and it seemed like we were gonna uh, leap them. Then and we're gonna have to hold on. We're gonna have to wait a little bit, maybe till the end of the month. Um, they're back up to two games ahead of us, but uh, I'm really encouraged with the way this team has been playing. Just you know, some bad luck down the stretch. Yeah, I think you have to stop the three game skid right now, just in case. Make Correct. sure it doesn't get worse against yeah. these bad teams if before you play Houston. One, if they blow this one after being up seven zero, that will be problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's been interesting is the uh, the inconsistency in the offense the last couple of days. Um, it seems like we've talked about this. We talk about this every fucking month with mm. the Mariners, mm. but it seems like it's like a all like a feast or famine. They're not going to score two runs, two runs, one run. Like it's not going to be that. It's going to be four runs in an inning or nothing. Correct. It's going to be nine runs followed up by zero through ten. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then seven today. You know, honestly, you know, I'm not too concerned about that. In the month of August, our offense actually has been pretty consistent. And a lot of that has to do with pitching. Um, we're talking about Kirby throwing a gem, but obviously uh, so did the Orioles pitcher. Well, the Orioles pitcher, God, fuck Cole Irvin. Uh, Cole Irvin went five. So he went five innings, and they just, like, pieced together relievers. Uh, the problem is the Orioles have one of the best relieving cores in baseball. Yes. Um, so it was a tough game. Kirby was amazing. The only run that was scored in that one that lost was uh, Munoz gave up, like, a ground ball and then just, like, 
right out of the gate. A hit. Yeah. yeah. And, and but it when runs, you runner lay on, the second. Start on second. Yeah. yeah, the margin of error is zero. So you can't even be mad at me. It's just bad luck. And yeah. Bad luck bad job by the Mariners not doing their job and scoring a run in the bottom of the tenth. Especially, know? yeah, they three K's in that bottom of the tenth would really uh, hurt him. Um But it was Felix Bautista. He's been the best reliever in all of baseball recently, yeah. so can't I, be upset. I also thought it was a really beautiful um beautiful representation of Felix's time in Seattle to have a pitcher throw an absolute gem and, and lose 0-1 in extras. It's happened to Kirby a couple times. Like the, the the Astros game last year, that home Astros game that went to 18 innings, Kirby threw the first seven of those, didn't uh, give up a single run. That's right. That game was brutal. Um, Mariners just scored. They're up 8-5. Oh, nice. Things looking good. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so in general, I guess maybe it's time to just like take a little bit of a step back. The the wild card race is going to be tight. You know, we're fighting with the Astros and the Blue Jays for the third wild card, which I don't want to do. Both those teams are really good. Yeah, it's going to be really hard to get a, get that wild card spot in the American League. But I do think it's time to kind of reframe the conversation we kind of left the Mariners with, which is like I've, I'm they did it again. These these sons of bitches did it to us again. First two-thirds of the year, it's like, is this team good or is this team trash? We literally let them go, like, three weeks ago. We Correct. were like, oh, we're done with them. Yeah, glad we traded Seawald. A wasted year. Um, this team is good, and I don't really care what happens the rest of the year. I, I do. I care a lot. But whatever happens the rest of the year, it's not going to discourage me. This three-game losing streak we're on, it's not discouraging me. It's unfortunate. But our team is really flipping good. Um, just as good as Houston and the Blue Jays. We'll see if we can catch up. But um, that is kind of a new feeling this year like Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how you feel i'm at least confident in like the quality of this team like this is a really good team yeah i agree and i want to extend that even further the only reason we're not even you know even better is because the first you know 80 games of the season our offense just wasn't hitting We've, we've now seen what it looks like when our offense hits it's good. We're really good. Yeah. Our bullpen might be the worst, the weakest part of our team right now just because we traded Paul Seawald. Which is crazy. It's, we still have a nice bullpen. It's still amazing. And, you know, once again, just like the streak last year, the offense we're on right now, maybe a tiny bit unsustainable. When you score nine runs twice in three games and give up zero runs in between, you know, what, which one's the outlier? It's got to be one of them. Um, but, you know, even if our batting was more average, we're on an absolute tear in the month of July and August. If our batting was just more average, pitching's still awesome. Got good bats. The guys, you know, it's not like anybody's hitting for crazy power that shouldn't be. It's just the guys that were supposed to be hitting like 270 are finally hitting like 270. It's crazy. It's amazing what happens when you're not batting 220. Um, by the way, I just wanted to note that that run we scored in the top of the seventh, Hernandez, nine at bat. A nine, nine pitch at bat really fought him to wow. the end there. That's before. good for him, man. Making these at bats tough. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the shit I'm talking about, man. It was a nine nine pitch at bat double to score a run. Like that's the way this team is going to score. Dingers are nice, but uh, yeah, I don't man. think we have any guys that are above twenty home runs. I think Cal or so, I think somebody has twenty, but that's it. You're going to owe me some money here at the end of the year. I, I definitely will owe you some money at the end of the year. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to pay it yet just in case, but yeah. I will definitely owe you some money. Um, um, but that, like you were saying, our offense doesn't come from power. Granted, it would have been nice to have one home run in that zero-score game. Uh, but our offense doesn't come from power. It's stringing hits together, and so sometimes that's just not going to happen, which is okay. 
like we want that to happen every game where we score, you know, three or four runs in an inning, and then you can add on later. But I guess God, I was thinking about today, and I was just like, yeah, we scored seven runs, but we had four home runs in an inning. So, um, streaky, a little streaky right now. But yeah, I just we should also note before we walk away that five three Orioles win, second game of the series, or no, third game of the series, um, five three through ten. Was one of the, like the craziest. Oh, the, emo- the emotional. We were in the car. I was driving you back from the airport. Yeah, absolutely insane. Where in the top of the ninth, with two outs, I believe, um, they get. Uh, oh, that's right. Because it was crazy. Take us from the top. It all started with uh, the manager getting thrown out. Yeah, yeah. So top of the ninth, I believe, scores tied two to two. Correct. Uh, Andres Munoz comes in. He gets a runner on first and second. I believe there's one out or two outs or something. Um, and gets called for a balk to move to advance the runners from first and second to second and third. Which takes away the which double takes play away ball. the double play to end the to end the inning. And then of course we get, I believe, like a ground ball or a sack yeah. fly. No, no, it was a ground ball fielder's choice. They to got Munoz, one out. Yeah. On. That would have been it. That would have been the that would have been the double play ball, but we lost it on the balk. And the balk was questionable. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. Um they thought he quick pitched. I don't think yeah. anybody would have argued against like would have I don't think anybody would have said anything if they didn't call it, you know? Correct. And it was just just crazy. It was just like okay, top nine, we give up a, a run single on what run. Should have been a double play. That's it. That sucks. And then uh Hernandez pops out, bottom nine, it's like shit. <laughs> Ty France. It's, it's an absolute bomb. Just what should be a home run, and Cedric Mullins comes up with just the nastiest home run robbery of the season so just, far. Just honey buckets the fence and and steals it from us. And it's like, okay, well, there goes our souls. Now this is clearly over. And then I think it was the next pitch. I think it was Canzone's. No, it was his second pitch. Uh, Canzone, first home run. It's an Mariner. absolute tank. He watches it. <laughs> Off like the top of the hit it here, hit it here cafe windows. Yeah, um, there's that power that I was talking about earlier, early on in the pod when we first acquired him. Correct. Um, he Correct. does have that kind of ability. That was it awesome. looked pretty fucking nice with the bat, bat flip too. <laughs> yes, and that is what sent us to extras, and we lost in extras. Cedric Mullins hit a two run home run, and it was Mullins again, which yeah. is absolutely brutal. But yeah, it was just so tough because you know hypothetically either the France home run would have given us the win or if we got the ground ball it would, you felt like it got taken away a little bit a tiny bit but at the same time Mullins kind of ripped our hearts out and you kind of have to give him credit for yeah. that Royals are a good team they're playing they're playing hot insane. they're like there have been like more entertaining games but it was just so back and forth I've never seen so many just like emotional swings you I was know? gonna say that that Atlanta Braves game last year where Gino and Julio hit back-to-back home runs to win it. Yes. That one was a great emotional swing. This one yes. was a sad emotional swing. Well, yeah, and you know there are yeah there are more entertaining games, but just like I would have loved to see the uh, like fantasy percent likelihood to win tracker. Yeah. I'm sure it was like 99 to like negative 99 to 99, like four times back and forth, just insane. Yeah, uh, that, that's like a great postseason game. That's that's postseason type energy. Yeah, um, which is why I'm not, baseball. I'm not super concerned about. Yeah, we lost that. We played two good games. Um, we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about. Do you want to touch on Emerson Hancock before we move on from that nurse? Yeah, let me just go real quick. Yeah. Emerson Hancock, first start last Wednesday, I believe, against, um, I don't remember, it was the Padres. Uh, last start against the Padres, facing you, Darvish. And uh, he looked solid through five. I think we've seen that he's, his fastball tails off a little bit towards the end of his uh, his appearances once he gets 
elevated pitch counts, mm-hmm. which is understandable. He's pitched a lot this year. Yeah, he hasn't really pitched much the last couple of years in terms of innings. Um, but good to see him up. Good to see him today. He pitched and he gave up that grand slam. Um, maybe it looks like Scott should have pulled him a batter earlier, mm. considering he had gotten the bases loaded and had an out in and, the fifth. And where were we in the fifth inning? Yeah, yeah. starting to see that that fastball go again. But yeah, he, he's he has looked good. That grand slam was tough, but even before that, he had looked pretty sharp today. So. Uh, Emerson Hancock, just one more pitcher I'm gonna have to remember the name of. Damn it! Granted, he's not gonna be a, he's not gonna be a number one starter. He's not gonna be a George Kirby or Gilbert. He's gonna be a number four. Correct. Um, Correct. Solid fastball, but just you know throws a lot of stuff. Got a nice cutter. Got a decent slider that'll that'll yeah. play up eventually. Yeah. He's got to work on it, but good he'll arm, be good. Good arm dad behind Bryce for sure. Um, okay. Anything else on the nurse? I think we're good. I think it's I think it's time to to move on. It is time to move on. Why don't Why don't you start with you, Dub? I, once I get going on the Zags, you're just gonna have to end the podcast in the middle of a monologue. You're just gonna have to. Yeah. Okay. UW football. It's coming up. Preseason first game. Or I guess. Uh, I guess would it count as preseason? UW. There's no like real preseason games, but no, it's just like, like pre. Yeah. Non-conference schedule. That's what I'm trying to think of. Non-con. Um, got that first game coming up in next weekend over next weekend uh and pretty stoked they came in UW ranked as the number 10 team on ESPN's top 25 list uh and I think they'll be just climbing that list over the course of the season uh fun fact Oregon State came in at 18 just just so we know nice good for Oregon State good for them top 20 um so I just want to talk about some some highlights that are that are going to be important for the for UW football and what to look forward to uh, the top 100 players list for college football came out, and UW had four of the top 100. Those four were the wide receiver, Jalen McMillan, coming in at number 82. Defensive end, Braylon Trice, I believe, number 46, who was a beast last year. He had 70 QB pressures, led to nine sacks, which is a crazy number two. Um, he's going to be a force on the defensive end and somebody to look, to look out for in terms of Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, definitely all defensive team. Um, wide receiver Adunze, um, he's pretty great. He's, he's basically just like a bigger version of Jalen McMillan. Uh, came in at number 36. He's just like bigger body, uh, was a track star, so he's probably a little faster, but they basically do the same thing. And with Michael Penix Jr., who was the number 15 uh spot on the ESPN uh, top 100 player list third quarterback um, just has all of his returning weapons and he's ready to go he's locked and loaded and uh, the, te- the team is just built to go for this all passing offense that uh, Kalen DeBoer is going to be destroying the Pac-12 teams with um, John I know you're not a big college football guy but any any thoughts as to what you're looking forward to for UW football? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited for their offense is what I think is going to be, which is kind of unique in recent years. You know, their UW's recent success has typically been built around a you know really big defensive line and and good good corners, but I think this year it's going to be their offense that's a little a uh, little more dominant. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's going to be a different look team in the new conference. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I bet you. I haven't watched a ton of UW games recently. I'm going to put it on the TV, and you're going to be enjoying it. I was going to say, I think I'm going to watch a lot of UW football this year, which, you know, we were just talking about how sad it is that the pack's gone. But 
I think I am going to be a lot more invested in those games, particularly if they're able to win a couple early. Um, you know, playoff might be out of reach. Uh, you know, they certainly are nothing compared to like Georgia. College football is just so messed up at the top. It's best to just put those. We should really just put like three teams in their own conference, you know, and then everyone else can play and have it be competitive. But um, yeah, it's going to be a super fun conference schedule. Non-con will be good. Um, and excited to see that quarterback wide receiver combo that's so touted. Yeah, you hit the nose on the head too. The we used to be a big defensive team. The cornerbacks were great. We were kind of DBU for a little while there. Yeah, uh, and now we're we're kind of trying to find ourselves in terms of the defensive the the cornerbacks on the outside. Um, still some questions on the defensive end with the uh, the outside players, but overall, UW's looking great going into this uh, this coming season, and excited to see just a high powered offense run the table. John, I will give it to you. Go for it. Do your thing with the Zags. Oh, boy. Gonzaga basketball. All right. Well, um, I guess first I just want to say uh, WCC agreed to a new deal with ESPN for the televising rights. So it is possible for conferences to do that, to come to an agreement and take money for ad revenue and continue to play collegiate sports without dissolving. (coughs) But, uh, yeah, their non-conference schedule is coming together. Uh, they've got games against Purdue, against Kentucky, uh, a game against UW, which is uh, maybe more of a scrimmage, you know, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then the Maui Invitational is going to be awesome. Uh, Kansas is in that. I think Purdue's in that again. Syracuse, USC. Um, there are going to be some really good teams, so that'll be exciting. Uh, but more than that, I wanted to just kind of retouch on the roster as it's basically reached its final form. If we get any other transfers, I don't know what we're going to do with them because, damn, we have, this team is so fascinating. So let me just kind of get into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, we talked before. I did a big session on who we lost and who we brought in. So I'm not going to re-go over everybody, but I'll just say the last two guys that have joined the team since we last spoke are uh, Luka Krajianovic, uh, the real Luka, the real Croatian Luka. Um, he's a six-four guard. Played for the Croatian national team. Really talented. Um, he's nineteen years old. Uh, uh, really good in the lane. Good passer. Good rebounder. Three-point shots still coming along. Um, but he's good. He's also going to be buried on our bench, which we'll talk about later. And then we got Marcus Adams Jr., who is a Kansas guard. He transferred from Kansas, who's going to either start or be their sixth man. Um, he's a 6'6 six, six guard. I think he actually is more of a wing, especially on this team. But uh, he can shoot the three. He's a real versatile guy. He can do everything, but I don't think he's great at anything. Um, and he would start on a lot of teams, but I think he's going to get buried on this team too. It is unbelievable how deep this Gonzaga team turned out to be. Um, and decision-making is going to be so tough. So I looked at Sports Illustrated's projected starting lineup is Ryan Emhard, uh, Nolan Hickman, I suppose. Um, Steel Venters at the three. He's a natural replacement for Julian Strother. He's a 6'7", sweet shooting wing. Came out of uh, Eastern Washington, was the Big Sky Player of the Year. Anton at the four, no surprise. He's our defensive anchor and uh, and uh, has been showing flashes on offense. And then 
I think the one I personally disagree with, but what Sports Illustrated has is Graham Ike, um, who was the South Dakota guy or Wyoming guy, I believe, um, starting at the five. And he's he's Timmy Light, which is probably why he's projected there. He's a really good post player, averaged like 19 a game last year, um, which is why we wanted him there. I think that's Ben Gregg's spot. I was going to say, you think Ben Gregg's got that spot locked down? It just, he's a better shooter, and he's a better defender, and he's a better, probably a better rebounder, and probably just like fits the flow of the offense more. I'm not, after watching Timmy last year, I'm not sure what we need is another like low post guy at the five. Um, but, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world if he starts. He could also come off the bench and play a Timmy role. So it'll be interesting. I think that's the only thing that I'm like, that could be a switch in terms of who starts. But otherwise, I think that's pretty locked in for our starting five. Who's the Wyoming guy? You said Graham Ike? Uh, Wyoming, Graham Ike, yeah. Is he a banger down low? Do we know if he's Correct. like a, okay, he's, he's a big body? He's 6'9", 225, low post guy. I, t- Timmy like He's not Drew Timmy. Might be a bit of the better rebounder and defender than Timmy was. Um, but that's his game, is low post offense. I'm just thinking you could run a... I don't think you'll ever see him... Watson and Greg all in at the same time just because no. they don't really fit together no. because Watson doesn't have that like court extension um, but Greg could fit with both Watson and Graham Ike so that's my thought my thought is like Ben Greg seems like the most crucial of those three guys in terms of Anton and Greg I love it I love the defense I love the shooting um, and then Ike and Greg I love the inside out game um, I love the floor spacing around Ike um, if anything, I think Anton and Ike makes the least sense together of the three guys. I think, yeah, Ben Greg might be. Could he be the key to everything? That's what we've been talking about for years. Okay, so so that's our starting lineup. It's pretty much set in stone. It's a good starting lineup. Probably not the best in college basketball, um, but it's really good. Here is what th- where things just get absolutely crazy with this Gonzaga team, and it's not an issue that they have ever had. In the history of Gonzaga basketball, I can speak with good confidence from like 2010 on and before 2010 they just weren't that good um their bench right now is currently ben greg or Graham Ike, um followed up by dusty stromer young syak yo luca luca krasinovic marcus adams jr caden perry and brayden huff that's six guys that is two four six seven guys i guess if you yeah if you got one of the first six yeah yeah so that's this is a 12 man rotation and you're like, John, who the fuck are any of those guys? I don't know who those guys are. Just for the record, every one of those six guys was either a FIBA under 19, you know, championship level player with uh, Young Siak and Luca, who are both awesome and they're both going to be development projects, but they're both really talented, raw, young international prospects. The other four guys are four-star recruits. Every single one of those guys is a four-star. Ben Gregg, you know him. Dusty Stromer? Super sweet shooting guard. Um, Marcus Adams Jr., we just talked about, all-around player. Caden Perry was supposed to be like Brandon Clark. He's like a freak athlete with bounce to play at the four. Rebounds, blocks, defensive anchor type of guy. And then Braden Huff is like a 6'11", sweet shooting freshman. Like, he's he's Ben Gregg bef- after Ben Gregg. Um, we've got Ben Gregg and Ben Gregg 2.0 on the same team. Um, it's crazy. If we took that team and had it as like a starting five, it would be the second best team in the WCC by a mile. Um, 
And what's just so interesting is that like, Kentucky has had to deal with this before. And, you know, they've figured out ways to deal with it. Kansas has had to deal with having this many talented players on the same team. Mark Few really struggles to go deep into lineups with any sort of success. And maybe that's because he just hasn't had the players for it. But he has never, ever, like, really implemented anything beyond, like, an eight-man lineup, particularly come tournament time. He just doesn't do it. And I think this team is too talented. The bench is too talented, and the starting five is too, like, low ceiling to not play a ton of these guys. Because there are arguments that several of our starters are not better than several of our bench guys. Um, particularly looking at Nolan Hickman, Steel Venters, Graham Ike. Um, there are, you know, it's interesting to see how those other guys from small conferences will translate to the bigs, but Hickman, you know, I don't believe in, and the other two guys are unproven. Then we got these just, just stud young players coming off the bench. Um, the best way I, I can think of to utilize this team is to just have them run and be that, like, super athletic team that just gets after it, and then you just... Sub them out when they get tired. Yeah. Like, you just go, throw a lot of lobs. Basically do what Duke did when Zion and RJ Bear were there, honestly, and just, yeah. like, have these dudes just play their, their own game and just ball out. Yeah, and it would be so fun, too, because this team's been so slow ever since Timmy became the man. Mm-hmm. But we used to be one of the fastest teams in basketball in terms of pace. I'd love to get back to that. We we have so many wings. Steel Venters, Anton, Stromer, Yo, Krasnovich. Adams and Perry are all between 6'5 and 6'9. We have so many wings, dude. I almost kind of wish we would just put Hickman on the bench and put like Marcus Adams Jr. at the two. We all know you would wish they put Hickman on the bench. But I'm even I'm giving I'm giving Hickman an olive branch here. And then we could just run units. Because the problem with young teams is like if they if they don't know how to play with If they don't have a guard or somebody to like load the offense. Yeah, but also you can't just like throw Young in at the three and expect him to know how to play with the starters, yeah. which is why they don't get starting time. It almost makes more sense with a team this deep and this young is if you have a starting unit and a bench unit and do a lot of mass swaps, you know? Five in, five out, and then the guys know how to play together. But It'll be interesting, man. I have no idea. Like My big concern is what the fuck Fuse is going to do because... My suspicion is that like four of these guys are going to transfer next year because they're not going to play at all, and I really hope that's not the case. Some, most of them are not most, but how how many of them are seniors? Zero. Jesus Christ. Uh, on that bench, zero of seniors. Well, I'm thinking, you know, how many starters are going to be gone next year? Ryan's a senior. Anton's a senior. Um, Graham Ike, I believe, is a senior. Venters may be. Okay, so you know, it's space a little bit. Space a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, man, yeah, but you know. Why did they have to deal with that? Same thing with Salas. I, we saw Salas walk away, Hunter Salas, and I just would hate to see that again because he was one of my favorite players on the team last year. Maybe Few just likes making good basketball players, even if they leave. You know, he, he likes making players good at basketball. I guess, but anyway, this team is just so fascinating. It's going to be the most interesting Gonzaga team in a while, just, just strictly because our starting five will not be as good as it has been probably in the last four or five years. But our bench is going to be better than it's ever been. Yeah. It's just going to be really, really interesting. So uh, looking forward very much uh, to the kickoff of the season. It's coming soon. Kind of. I can't believe that was only like, that was only like a 10-minute rant. I know. 
It's because I didn't ask you any questions. I just I just said things. I let you go. That was smart of you to yeah. Let me let me spin my wheels there for a minute, dude. This team is so interesting. I love Braden. Hunt. It's gonna be good. We're, we're gonna watch a lot of sports in the coming three four months. Yeah, that's very. It's true. gonna be a problem for us. Yeah, it's gonna be already a problem. Um. Well, anything else to touch on? I think that's good. We we actually did well. We got talked about four different teams in fifty minutes. That's pretty good for us. That was efficient. We were we were we were tight with our time. Um. Well, thanks for listening. Um. Follow us on platforms and. Uh, you want you want me to do it, buddy? Listen to us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Music. Wherever you're listening to this is uh, where we are. So give us a follow there. Uh, if you would like to follow the pod on Twitter, TikTok, and or Instagram, it's all there at Sound Up Seattle, uh, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at tycard50, anywhere that's important. And you can find John playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 now because he finished Halo 2 and needs a break. Yes. Um, we hope you have a good, uh, good rest of your week. And go M's. Go Zags, baby. Let's go. God, you're just you're early always man. a little late you're, you're early right as no, it turns you no, gotta be planning no you're early um okay hello and welcome to the sound up seattle podcast i'm joined as all oh god i just didn't even start that right we're gonna restart <laughs> why don't you let me start you always start yeah, i feel sure. bad go for it